millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hello, and you're very welcome to The Tonight Show. Sinn Féin leader Mary Lou MacDonald has described the response of the Taoiseach to her written request for a meeting regarding the Tánaiste as high-handed and arrogant. She joins us live to discuss this and much more. With 2,500 guardies set to be deployed across the country to police St Patrick's Day tomorrow, Fianna Fáil TD Jack Chambers and our crime correspondent Sarah O'Connor will be here, as well as former Assistant Garda Commissioner Pat Leahy and journalist Ewan McKenna to discuss tomorrow's planned protests. And later, St Patrick's Day at home and abroad, CNN's White House correspondent Phil Mattingly joins us live from Washington DC with Dublin's Lord Mayor Hazel Chu and Sunday Independent columnist Gina London joining us for a discussion on a virtual green, white and gold celebration this year. Do get in touch on Twitter. Our hashtag tonight, VMTV. Sinn Féin leader Mary Lou Macdonald joins me here in studio. You're very welcome to the show Thank as you, always, uh, Mary Lou. I want to start with that Garda investigation into the leaking of the GP uh, contract uh, by the Tanishta Leo Vradkar. You said you wanted to meet the Taoiseach. Mm-hmm. Um, we know he has said he is not going to meet you. I'm just wondering, given the fact that Sinn Féin, I suppose, has made its position very clear and that you want Leo Vradkar to resign or to be sacked, what is it that you wanted to say to the Taoiseach? Well, I I suppose the same things that we have been saying since last November, that um, this uh, incident wherein the Taunashta, when Taoiseach leaked this document, this document which was confidential, commercially sensitive, it was leaked in the end game of what had been an incredibly long negotiation. The fact that that happened was shocking. But the fact that that document was leaked by the head of government is outrageous, quite frankly. And it's my strong view that last November, Micheál Martin should have acted, um, should have taken action, should have made sure that there was some accounting for um, that behaviour. He didn't. And the consequences of this are very serious because... When you occupy the highest office in the land, the decisions you take, the way that you behave in government affects people's lives. And that kind of behaviour has to be stamped out in Irish politics. It's not acceptable. For this meeting with the Taoiseach, and he replied saying he gets letters from you on a regular basis. He said in many instances, the letters are purely political. He said it's a tactic that Sinn Féin use on a far too frequent basis. He said it lacks sincerity and he had no intention of responding. And that was just an astonishing um, response to make. It, just to let your viewers know, I've written to the Taoiseach on 12 occasions this year. I've written to him... This in, year since January? Since January. Seeking uh, meetings. I have no... 
Uh, no, no. Um, but I have written to him uh, in respect of the vaccine rollout, in respect of disability, carers, special education, Brexit and the Irish protocol. In that instance, I was looking for a meeting. Um, but it, it, it's just an extraordinary thing that the Taoiseach would consider it, a, you know, an imposition on him to read those letters. I mean, these are really important matters, I think. He clearly thinks that it's a waste of his time well, I just... to be, to be uh, questioned or to be contacted or corresponded with on these issues. So that to me is, is quite astonishing. I also thought it was incredibly dismissive. I mean... All of us in political life have a job have a job to do. My job is in opposition. My job is very much around keeping the government, holding the government to account. And it's also about representing people and representing them, them well. And in terms of holding the government to account, I suppose what the Taoiseach did go on to say is that happened last November when the Taoiseach went into the doll, explained himself, apologised, said it wasn't an error of judgment, took questions from all of the opposition. You know, there was a motion of no confidence, which you and your That's party right. put down, which he won. He has now the full backing of all of the government power, maybe one or two in, in Fianna Foil. It has been dealt with in a political sense, and well, now it's up for the Gardaí to be allowed to investigate well, this. Well, let's agree on this much, that the criminal investigation around Leo Varadkar and his actions is exclusively a matter for the Gardaí. That is, that is their... Uh, business and, and they need to get on with And the political matter was dealt with last November? Well, no, but, well, it wasn't really. Uh, what happened last November was um, the, the wagons were circled. We were told at that time, by the way, that there was nothing to see here, that this was a minor issue, that this was the opposition playing politics. Uh, it was nothing of the sort. This is a but very serious yeah. issue. And but the majority of the elected representatives, when they were asked to vote, whether they had confidence in him or not, whether they basically accepted his apology and the fact that this was an error of judgment, which he said you know, he was sorry for, they accepted that. And then in January, new material came into the public domain. I mean, his line back in the autumn had been that this actually wasn't a confidential document, that it was in circulation. We discover in January that that was far from the case. In fact, the health minister couldn't get a copy of this document. So, But he did this... say today, look, there was nothing illegal, there was nothing corrupt. This was um, Leo Varadkar speaking on News Talk this morning. There was no personal gain. I didn't cause harm to anyone or gain from it. Well, ultimately, the Gardaí now will make the, the decision on whether there was a criminal act or not. That's not for me to say that they will determine that. But let's be clear here. The, the head of government absolutely abused their position. Um, this was a complete uh, act of bad faith on an incredible scale. And it is a reflection of the kind of politics of Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, not just of the past, but now of the present. But now you've the Green Party the also of... seem to have full well, confidence well, uh, in I, I the wonder, I wonder, do they? And if they do, I wonder how they stand mm. over that. No person with an ounce of common sense, no person certainly who believes in Irish politics changing and the ways of the past uh, so common to Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael that that has to be left in the past and not brought into the present what or the future. Nobody who actually believes that could stand over his uh, actions. But what about the Labour Party then <laughs> in opposition with yourselves saying today, look, you're trying to distract actually Sinn Féin at this point is trying to distract 
from what's going on in Northern Ireland, in particular, you know, a vote on abortion last night. And I don't want to get into the details of that, but they've also said this is a distraction technique from Sinn Féin. They're not well, going to support you in your call for his uh, removal now, well, look, his it, sacking. It, there's nothing distraction about this. We have been consistent in our position since the autumn time. And in fact, I understood that the Labour Party had confirmed that they too believe, like us, that his position was untenable in November and, and that that is the case now. And and just to say, I mean, we've seen recently government policy in an area like housing where we have seen dusted down the worst of old Fianna Fáil bad politics and bad policy. It's almost like back to the future. Darrell O'Brien has this crazy scheme that will actually make affordable housing unaffordable. It'll keep prices high rather than bring in the oh, We down. know he would say otherwise. He well, said it in that designed, last designed week. Designed by developers for developers and I would make this point if we want politics to actually respond to the many and not the few if we want to move beyond the politics of vested interests and who you know and old boys clubs well then we have to move beyond it and that's really what Leo Varadkar's actions when he was Taoiseach speaks of that awful entitlement and, and acting on behalf of your friends said today was that there was real double standards coming from Sinn Féin do you accept that? No, I don't. And I mean, it, it, the, the reality is now, you can correct me if I'm wrong, I don't recall another instance where a Taoiseach had leaked a confidential, commercially sensitive document at the end game of a negotiation to a friend. And, and where uh, we now have the Gardaí perhaps looking into a criminal uh, aspect to that. I don't remember an equivalent of that happening before. If it's happened before, correct me but and I will stand corrected. We did have, Mary Lou, the situation where you had the leader of Sinn Féin at the time, Gerry Adams, being investigated by the PSNI. He was called in for questioning. He was arrested and held over any connection to the abduction and murder of Jean McConville. You had Michelle O'Neill, your deputy leader in Northern Ireland, uh, being investigated by the PSNI over the Bobby Story funeral and her attendance at well, that. Look, these yeah. are two matters where the Gardaí, the PSNI, are investigating members of Sinn Féin over criminal acts. And what happens? Nobody well, in Sinn Féin asks them to step aside. Well, uh, That's why the double standards well, allegations no, well, you see, I don't, uh, Only if you think that there's an equivalence between those things. I mean, I don't think there's an equivalence between Gerry Adams, for, for example, um, being arrested by the PSNI, questioned for many days, released, by the way, without any charge and nothing but, proven. Sorry, sorry Mary, there's some might people say there's not an equivalence. You're right. It's far more serious. No, no. Uh, the, the issue here is that Leo Varadkar has stated categorically that what happened happened. The, the facts here aren't disputed. That's the point. You see criminal investigations, whether they're carried out by the Gardaí, the PSNI or anyone else, that, that's a matter for those authorities. We as politicians, so I accept, can't stray When in it's there. a criminal investigation, you're not so concerned. But when a Tanisha comes in and admits to an error of judgment, that does concern you. Uh, no, what I am saying is that for us, our terrain and our domain is political. I, I can't say that a crime was committed. How could I? That's not my... I, I don't have any authority or any discretion there. What I can tell you is that the Tanisha, when Taoiseach, acted in gross bad faith and demonstrated okay. a massive abuse of his position. I want and the to facts reflect that. Move on to the St. Patrick's Day uh, protests tomorrow. We understand there's going to be six protests um, across the city centre. What is your message to those people who want to come out and protest? 
Well, look, um, uh, I, I would simply say that um, we are not past the danger zone of this virus yet. And look, people are tired, people are angry, people are frustrated. I hear all of that. People are doubly angered when they see that the government hasn't gotten its act together in terms of testing, tracing, international travel. I hear this from people a lot, and I want to recognise that. But the answer to this isn't coming out in big numbers on the streets tomorrow. So should they be cancelled? Well, I think the wise thing is for people to stay at home, to stay within their five kilometre zone, as hard as that is, particularly on St. Patrick's Day, and particularly, I hope, on a St. Patrick's Day where the sun will shine. But I think that's what we need to do. The worst thing that could happen is that we could head into a fourth wave, that we could head into the prospect of more lockdowns. I want us to reopen things, to do it as soon as is possible, to do it safely, but also to do it in a way that's sustained, that we so don't find ourselves back in another lockdown. So just to be clear, should protests be cancelled during a pandemic? I, I think we're left with no option but to say that. I mean, bar if you can find a way where people can protest, staying within you know, close proximity of their homes, socially, and in a way that's absolutely safe. So I suppose there are online ways that you can protest and you could be imaginative. But the, the, the old-fashioned concept of a, of a demo where we're all out in our throngs, I mean, that's just not something that is safe when, when we're, when we're in, a, in the scenario that we're in. You mentioned frustrations there and that you're hearing them and perhaps feeling them um, yourself. What do you think should happen, um, Mary Lou, come April the 5th? That is sort of the next deadline that the government has given us for you know, the potential easing of some of the restrictions. Well, in I, level I think five. what should, should be happening now, not to mind uh, April the 5th, is uh, the, the, the building blocks to keep us safe need to be fortified. So I'm very alarmed at the fact, for example, that we still don't have enough contact tracers. We were told months ago that we would have a thousand of them. We still don't have that. I, I'm very worried about that. I'm still worried about international travel and the lack of a really tight quarantine uh, regime, which we will need um, in the short term. And I'm also concerned that uh, a lot of speculating kite flying is now again emanating from government. And people, for example, hear over the airwaves in a, in a radio interview or a television interview that they're not going to be going back to their jobs. I mean, that's what happened to hairdressers, barbers, um, personal services. I'm concerned that the level of consultation with um, hospitality and the arts and entertainment hasn't been anything like it needs to be. So now government needs to be talking to people, not at them in the airwaves. They actually need to fully engage with all of those sectors. So, Some of whom, by the way, as you know, Kira, haven't seen a day's work in a year. So would you not be easing restrictions come April 5th if those issues aren't tackled? Well, well I, I think for the restrictions to be eased, those issues have to be tackled because that's how you do it safely. I mean, that's the truth. In the north, um, things are at a different place. People now um, of 50 can, can now start going looking for their vaccines. And we're a far cry off that now uh, here. And I'm concerned that we need to marry up what's happening in the north, what's happening in the south. Um, and then, of course, we'll be guided by public health guidance. But there are plans to start relaxing things north of the border. That's on the basis of, of public health advice. So let's try and align things island-wide. You've heard me say this. But that's, we all times. know, uh, how the DUP 
feel about aligning things between Belfast and Dublin as opposed to Belfast and London? Well, it they're depends. Going to be, listen. And they're certainly not going to want it now when so, the vaccination listen, is so you, far ahead. Can I tell Ireland. you, some, on, on some issues, the DUP have a problem aligning with London and with things that are happening in Britain. You mentioned the abortion, the abortion uh, debate that, that's still raging in the North. Look, um, the reality is that I, I think the vast majority of people living in the North, whatever their political persuasion or their constitutional view, understand that to keep us safe, we have to, we have to all be safe. And there's no argument on a small island um, such as ours to have to, a, a disparity in vaccination. And by the way, if there's a reservoir of this virus anywhere on the island, it puts all of us at risk. Now, we need to understand just, that too. Just uh, very quickly, I just want to ask you about the um, Friends of Sinn Féin advertisements that we saw on Irish unity in some of the papers in America over the weekend. Do you think it was potentially provocative to put in ads like that talking about a referendum on Irish unity when there is still so much tension in Northern Ireland, particularly among unionists uh, in relation to Brexit and the protocol on how that's working? No, I don't. And I think the, the United States has been a staunch ally of Ireland very recently in, in respect of the Brexit debate and the protocol and, and all of that. I mean, people like uh, Speaker Pelosi, Richie Neal and others were absolutely um, hugely important in balancing the scales Just and protecting in, Irish interests. In terms of the on, timing. On the, on, the, on the issue of... No, because the conversation here is happening. Like, there may be those who wish to, to bury their heads in the sand. Peter Robinson, the former leader of the DUP, described them best as referendum deniers. But the debate is underway. It, it's happening here. It's happening in the United States. And actually, a motion okay. has been passed by the US Senate... Um, which is a, an incredible oh, right. uh, thing and which also recognises uh, Irish people's right to self-determination. They're not running away from the debate, neither should we. All right, we have to leave it there, but my thanks as always to Sinn Féin leader Mary Lou Macdonald. And after the break, policing St Patrick's Day, 2,500 Gardaí set to be deployed across the country. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today.
welcome back. Now, with several protests planned across the country for St. Patrick's Day, Fianna Fáil's Jack Chambers and Virgin Media crime correspondent Sarah O'Connor join me here in studio. You're both very welcome to the programme. Before we get to that, um, Jack, I just want to ask you about the comments from Mary Lou Macdonald there. She said, look, what Leo Radker did, it's politics of old. It damages trust. It's exactly the type of thing you'd expect Fianna Fáil to support. What And Leo Radker needs to resign or be sacked. Your response? Well, look, uh, the tarnished uh, Leo Radker is, is, is entitled to due process like anyone else. He apologised for his actions in the Dáil uh, last year. And I think you asked a very valid question of the leader of Sinn Féin, Mary Lou Macdonald, when, it, when does the same uh, consistency apply to the previous leader of, of that party when it came to Gerry Adams being uh, questioned and arrested for the murder of Jean McConville? And she had uh, very little response to that. So I think every citizen is entitled to due process. The, the tarnished... Uh, uh, apologised in the Dáil last year and we have to allow that process uh, to continue now and he's uh, continuing his job this week as a Minister for Enterprise and, as, and, and the Tánaiste uh, engaging with a lot of businesses and enterprises across the globe as part of St Patrick's Day uh, Festival and, and he's playing a positive role there. Alright, we'll move on to the protests tomorrow. Uh, Sarah, what exactly is planned? Do we have any idea you know, what the issues are, who are who's in, in or behind these groups, how many people uh, do we expect? Well, there's six protests apparently, up or up to six protests planned for tomorrow uh, in Dublin, in uh, RTE, for example, at Herbert uh, Park, uh, in the city centre, around two on O'Connell Street, also Stevens Green. And then it's understood they're going to start from around 12 o'clock onwards. And then it's understood that there may be a march then from the city centre uh, out towards Dublin 4. But as, as the Gardaí said today, um, these protests have been organised largely on social media by disparate groups. So people uh, with wide ranging views in relation to lockdown, uh, people with uh, wide ranging grievances, I suppose, people who are anti-lockdown, anti-vaccine, uh, anti-masks, for example. Uh, one of the gatherings, I think, tomorrow is, is going to be called the Mental Health Initiative. Uh, also people uh, from various groups who uh, want mortgage debt, certain mortgage debt uh, to be bailed out or to be to be written down so people with a, a lot of, of varying views and and I suppose the fear is that um, they're being monitored by Gardaí on social media but they can't predict how many people are actually going to turn up tomorrow how many people are going to try and get into the city centre so this is why this really significant policing operation is in place and how significant is this operation we hear two and a half thousand Guardy being deployed, but I think 300, is it in Dublin city centre? What exactly is their approach going to be? So they're saying a significant policing operation to manage the multiple protests uh, in Dublin, as you say, over two and a half thousand officers uh, will be on duty around the country, but around, as you say, 300 in the city centre. So that includes uh, three public order units with a capacity for about, I think, 25, up to 25 each. And then that will also include uniformed officers and then plain clothes uh, officers. And then there'll be extra checkpoints uh, around Dublin uh, to uh, monitor people trying to get into the city centre and there'll also uh, be uh, checkpoints uh, further down as well and it checks on, on train stations for example, people who will be travelling or plan to travel uh, to Dublin for specifically for these protests and I suppose people are warned that uh, travelling to a protest it's not an essential reason to leave your home it's not a, a reasonable excuse to leave your home So the idea will be that we're 
the Guardi are trying to stop people from getting into the city centre at all. So they'll be yeah. cutting them off at various routes and various access points. Yes, yeah, so the they've city. been monitoring the groups on social media. They've been infiltrating uh, those uh, groups. And so really tactically, what they'll be trying to do is stop. Uh, they know who, who are, who, who's organising these protests. So they, they know where they live and they'll be trying to nab them, I suppose, on their routes in in order to stop a number of people from, from, from travelling in and asking them why they're travelling tomorrow and, and if they refuse to comply, refuse to turn back, then they will be fined. And then organisers of these events also, they face a, a file going to the DPP if they don't comply. Uh, the former Assistant Garda Commissioner, Pat Leahy, uh, also joins us uh, this evening uh, via Skype. Pat, I'm wondering if the approach of the Garda to the protests tomorrow will have changed somewhat given what happened at the last protest in Dublin uh, city centre and the violence that we saw there. I think they'll be very well prepared, Kira. Uh, they'll, they'll have been planning for this for weeks. Even before what happened in Grafton Street, the guards will have been preparing for St. Patrick's Day. There's a plan in place for St. Patrick's Day every year, and it's built to deal with protests, it's to deal with public disorder during the parade or while the parade is going on, and late into the evening. And I would expect that the structures that are normally in place for St. Patrick's Day will be in place again tomorrow. And what that means is... The Assistant Commissioner for Dublin City will take charge of the operation overall and she'll have her Chief Superintendents well briefed. They'll have submitted their policing plans in advance and she'll take up residence in her control room, which is in the DMR office, and she'll have a Chief Superintendent with her. She'll have a Chief Superintendent on the ground for the operational uh, necessity and she'll also have a Chief Superintendent in charge of public order. So they'll manage the protests if they materialise but equally, she'll have to have a view of the longer uh, day because what traditionally happens for St. Patrick's Day is the city centre because it's busy and it, because it, it attracts people, whether it's for the parade or whether it's for protests. But into the evening time, five and six o'clock, uh, any uh, issues that are going to arise will transfer back out to the suburbs. So she'll have a policing plan in place for the suburbs as well. There'll be uh, about three public or full public order units available to her and she'll use them and they'll be there for the day. And then you'll have guards in uniform and plainclothes guards across the city throughout the day. So I would expect that they'll deal with this uh, very effectively. And I wouldn't have too many concerns about how it'll go tomorrow. I would reckon the guards will be all over this and they'll have planned for it. Would they be concerned, Pat, um, about some publicans deciding to open their premises tomorrow and perhaps to be serving takeaway pints or takeaway drinks to anybody who congregates and perhaps attends one of those protests in the city centre? I think they'll be very proactive in the, on that, Kira. And I suppose, look, we have to give credit to the publicans and the off-licences because historically, when I say that, I mean, over the last 10 or 15 years, the off-licences have agreed to stay closed until 4 p.m. in the day so that we could get through the main part of the St. Patrick's Day parade when families were in the city centre before any drink could be sold over the counter. Right. Now, the Republican, Republicans equally, I think they'll play ball with us in relation to this. But if not, I think the guards will be very proactive in uh, closing them down where okay. that is necessary. Okay. I just want to put your point to two, Jack Chambers. How concerned is the government about the protests tomorrow, first and foremost? It's, it's very concerning. And we saw what happened last at the end of last February, uh, where we had 
hundreds on our streets attacking the Gardaí showed a blatant disregard for the front line. Uh, and if people want, we're, we're at a, a crossroads in the terms of the disease. These congregations are super spreader events. Uh, and if people want to continue to see progress, uh, I just urge people uh, to stay at home and not to protest tomorrow. Um, they, they totally undermine the public health effort, which has taken a, a significant number of weeks now to get our case numbers down. Um, so people need to just heed the public health advice, stay at home. And I welcome the fact that we've had such a proactive policing plan, plan put in place by Angarda Shiakana, where they are trying to intercept these protesters before they arrive into town. Uh, well, a little earlier, I spoke to journalist Ewan McKenna in Portugal uh, to get his thoughts on lockdown, in particular in terms of the protests and how they are being handled and being approached uh, here in Dublin tomorrow. Here's what he had to say. I think they've been despicable from both a journalistic sense and from the political class, because I, I don't think people who have the right to work, who have the right to earn beyond the PUP, who have the right to go into a studio to interact with other people and whose futures are secure, uh, have any right to take away the democratic cornerstone in democracy of peaceful protest. Now, peaceful is a key part of that, naturally enough. Um, democracy has ups and downs. It has positives and negatives, but you have to take it as a whole. And in a pandemic, yeah, it mightn't seem the wisest thing to do. But you cannot believe in democracy and say, well, some aspects have to go here and there and we'll suspend parts here and there because that's for safety, that's for your risk. Um, and I mean, the, the people who, who've been protesting, they've been from the political class I mean, you hear the likes of Simon Coveney asking or, or suggesting these protests are illeg illegitimate. I've no idea what that means. I, I, I see Neil Richmond today kind of mimicking these protesters. And worse than that, since the last day, we, we've had a media that have, have rubbished their claims that they were protesting lockdown for rights that other people have. But they've called them fascist, anti-vaxxer, Nazis, associated them with some of the worst crimes in history, and all because they want basic rights down after a year where, for example, at the beginning they were told we're all in it together and no one gains. But after that year, the billionaires of Ireland, according to Oxfam, have 3.4 billion more in their bank accounts. There have been three pay rises for TDs, different TDs at different times. Um, and they've been losing everything, 25 percent of people out of work. So to tell them they are not allowed protest is frankly, it's stumbling towards authoritarianism at a very worrying rate. Well, I suppose we don't know the background to any of the people who are going to be protesting tomorrow. I'm wondering, Ewan, as somebody living abroad, as an Irish person, have you been frustrated and impacted by the level of lockdown and the level of closure we've seen here in this country? Well, I... I I've no intention of spending time in a quarantine hotel where TDs like Cahill Berry from my own constituency in South Kildare suggested the army could be drafted in and do a job like they did in Port Leash because arms are a great deterrent. And I think people need to look at themselves. I mean, I've been impacted so far as I can't come home because I'm not willing to lose rights that you have lost there. Um, and there is, there's a complete lack of questioning of, of, of what Neffet are up to here at the minute, Kira. because, I mean, just, I, I've, I have a folder this size here of stuff I've gone through um, around lockdowns and why they don't work. 
And uh, just to read, because you're not getting this in Ireland, the Lancet in the UK said government actions such as border closures, full lockdowns and a high rate of COVID-19 testing were not associated with statistically significant reductions in the number of critical COVID cases. It goes on through Germany, Sweden, Israel. They all say the same thing. And I'd love your readers or your listeners to hear something from the World Health Organization in October 2020, because we keep referring to them. But they said, I want to say again that we in the WHO do not advocate lockdowns as the primary means of control of the virus. They said this increases poverty hugely. Yet Ireland's only answer to all this, Kira, is to lock down for longer and harder than anywhere. And I think um, I'd said to you in there, I think those points made by the WHO were reported quite widely in the media here, actually. But Sarah, I want to talk about the wider policing tomorrow in terms of other hotspots, I mean, beaches, parks, and potentially people's homes. Is there concern mm. that people will be gathering you know, with friends and family in the beautiful weather tomorrow? Yeah, I think St. Patrick's Day has always presented a challenge uh, to Gardaí and and COVID even more so. And and tomorrow, I think it's predicted to be the warmest day of the year so far. So people are naturally going to uh, gravitate towards, I suppose, gatherings. Um, But they're being urged, of course, not to. And and then if if you do organise a house party, you're going to be warned that you're going to be fined €450. If you attend that house party, €150. And uh, Gardaí from the Public Order Unit will be moving outside of the city centre to the suburb. Uh, as the afternoon goes on. So people are warned that, you know, they will be highly patrolled, these areas. Uh, Pat, I just want to go to you very quickly. Um, in terms of sort of people's attitudes and frustrations now with the level of lockdown and how long they're going on, how do you think the government is handling this? Well, look, we can see the variety of opinion around the table tonight, Kira. And, I mean, look, that's just a fact of life. The guards have to uh, achieve a balance of rights in all of this, and that's a real challenge uh, for them. And there's no doubt about it, but, look, uh, people are tired now, and uh, they've been locked down for, for so long. So you really have to take all of that into consideration before you actually enforce the laws that we've been given here. And in fairness to the guards, they've adopted the four E's from the beginning, And I think they are moving a little more swiftly now to enforcement, and rightly so, because the context has changed, the virus has changed, and it just poses a huge threat to society. So I would expect that tomorrow they'll move more effectively again to uh, enforcement, but they will start with the encouragement and the explanation. But Um, uh, I do think enforcement is probably something they're going to move to quite quickly. uh, Jack, do you think the government would have been assisted if the government had done, or the Gardaí would have been assisted if the government had done something to close the loophole around the sale of uh, alcohol from pubs tomorrow? Well, there is a there is a, a difficulty around off sales that if you in in terms of the takeaway points where where that that's just a legal difficulty that's there presently. Um, but we've been very clear that no publican, no responsible publican should open tomorrow, and I think the vast majority will heed uh, the the guidance uh, from but government. Just to be clear, legally they're doing nothing wrong. Well, they're the clear message from government, and if in terms of the reputational damage to the industry um, and the co- the public health consequence would be severe if they open and try and, and facilitate congregations. Uh, and I think the vast majority will heed that advice tomorrow. Uh, and we can't have these events and holidays like St Patrick's Day, as I said, are a huge risk of super spreader events uh, where we we derail a lot of the progress that we've made over the last number of weeks. Uh, and that gives us you know, government will review the restrictions on the fifth of. April. April, but we just need people to stick with it for the next number of weeks.
difficult and all as that might be. <laughs> all right, we're going to have to leave it there. But my thanks to Minister of State and Government, Chief Whip, uh, Jack Chambers, Sarah O'Connor and to Pat Leahy. And after the break, we're going to be discussing St. Patrick's Day at home and abroad as the T-shirt prepares a virtual bowl of shamrock for US President Joe Biden tomorrow. You're very welcome back. Well, preparations are being finalised for a virtual St. Patrick's Day across the world and a virtual meeting between the Taoiseach and US President Joe Biden. Well, senior CNN White House correspondent Phil Mattingly is outside the White House in Washington, D.C. for us. Phil, thank you for speaking to us and lovely to speak to you. We're so used to seeing America go green for St. Patrick's Day. I'm wondering how the country intends to mark the occasion given the restrictions that are in place. Yeah, look, it'll be different. It'll be different like everything else has been different over the course of the last year. I still think you're going to see plenty of green. I think there's a fountain in front of the White House that will certainly be dyed green like always. I think a lot of the lighting in the White House will be as well. But in terms of the actual meeting between uh, the two leaders, it's going to be different with an effort, I'm told, to have as much of the usual pageantry and recognition of history as they possibly can. I, I am told that Irish embassy officials brought over a bowl of shamrock uh, earlier this week. That will be on the president's desk. Uh, during this meeting, and they're going to try and replicate to the degree they can. Think also the, the, the Friends of Ireland luncheon that always occurs on Capitol Hill. It's one of the hottest tickets in town, usually in, in, in any march. That will be virtual as well. So it'll be different. It certainly might not have the pageantry that it often does, but I think everybody involved is trying to get as close to they can uh, as what it usually is. And what can be expected to be discussed at this virtual meeting between President Biden and our Taoiseach? You know, I think the, the key issues when you talk to, to Biden administration officials up to this point, obviously COVID-19 is the top on every list for every conversation the president has uh, with any world leader. And obviously that's no different here. Obviously economic ties as well. Uh, the relationship between this administration and how perhaps it differs from the last administration is something that will certainly come up. But I think you, you can't look past, uh, I think, the, the genuine feeling of love and abiding respect the current president has uh, for Ireland. And I think that's going to come up a lot. And I think uh, whether uh, the Irish officials like it or not, the president is probably going to go on at length, as he often does, uh, about his heritage and the importance uh, of the country to not just the U.S., but to him personally. Oh, no, we'll welcome that. <laughs> we'll always take a compliment, I have to say, here in Ireland. I'm wondering, in terms of President Biden's Irishness, which you mentioned there, which he does speak at length about, does it actually have any influence on his outlook or on his foreign policy decisions? Or do you expect it to? You know, I... Yeah, I think I would separate it from his foreign policy decisions, but I think in terms of his outlook, it's interesting when you listen to him speak and having covered him on Capitol Hill as well as when he was vice president as well, the number of times he cites Irish poets, something from his grandmother or grandfather who obviously were born in the U.S., but their parents came, immigrated from Ireland. It clearly resonates kind of in every piece of his being to some degree. I think he often cites his parents or his grandparents' citing 
sayings or, or kind of ways of going about life and business that they may have taken uh, from Ireland. And I, I do think that that is, that is central to his core. It's central to how he operates. It's central to his work, work ethic. He will say that himself. In terms of actual policy decisions, I don't necessarily know that uh, his relationship to the country will shape what he decides to do or not do. I do know very clearly from talking to administration officials here that they believe that this is an opportunity to reset a relationship that, in their view, was really unsettled over the course of the last four years. And I think whether or not President Biden hails from Ireland or his great-grandparents hail from Ireland or not, that's their view, that this is an opportunity to reset an extraordinarily valuable relationship to the U.S. Do we know how President Biden intends to celebrate the day other than this virtual meeting? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. We've been trying to get details out of administration officials because of how important uh, the day is to him. I was, I was talking to an administration official early and was trying to, to, to send them clips from his visit to Ireland back in 2016 as, as maybe a, hey, I, I understand how important this is. Do you want to give me some information about what he's going to do tomorrow? And I struck out. I completely struck out. Look, I think that he will try and replicate. I kind of said this already, but he'll try and replicate to the degree he can what these visits traditionally are. Uh, obviously, it'll be virtual. Uh, uh, there will be a, a sharing of gifts, is what I, I've been told as well. Uh, he will participate, I think, in, in the luncheon on, in Capitol Hill. Obviously, uh, the vice president is also going to have a conversation and play a role, uh, too. One of the big questions we all have right now is, is he going to be going to mass tomorrow? He goes to mass weekly. Um, and I think there's some expectation that may be coming as well. But, but we'll see. I, I think the expectation from the press corps perspective is we're, we're prepared, to the extent COVID allows it, to maybe be surprised tomorrow. <laughs> Just one final question, Phil. Um, our own Taoiseach here has come under some pressure to ask uh, President Biden for any surplus or spare COVID-19 vaccines that he may be able to lay his hands on. He said he is not going to do that. I'm wondering what President Biden's position has been in terms of your own vaccine supply and the ability of the United States to share some of that excess supply with the rest of the world. You know, it's interesting you ask. I asked the president this today. He was, he was leaving the White House uh, in a trip to Pennsylvania to talk about his coronavirus relief bill that was just signed into law. And I asked him, where, where do they stand? There's a recognition inside the administration that they have ordered and, and have will soon have completed orders for far more vaccine than is necessary to vaccinate every adult in the U.S. The president told me that he is currently in conversations with a number of world leaders. It is something that is under consideration. And he said he would have more information about that soon. Here's kind of the base position of the Biden administration up to this point. Their focus, and they make very clear publicly their focus, is to ensure there's enough vaccine for every U.S. adult to get vaccinated. They will absolutely hit that mark by the end of May. They are involved in, in COVAX and in several different kind of uh, bilateral efforts to get vaccine to, to maybe lower or more middle-income countries as well. I think the reality is it's only a matter of time before President Biden, before his top administration officials, acknowledge that they have more vaccine than they probably need, and they will start uh, to figure out how to disperse that to allies. How they go about doing that and when they go about doing that, I think, is an open question at this point. All right, we leave it there. But, Philip Mattingly, uh, thanks so much for your time this evening and happy St. Patrick's Day. Thank you. You as well. Well, in studio now is Sunday Independent columnist Gina London and joining us via Skype is Lord Mayor of Dublin, Hazel Chu. You're both very welcome to the programme. I want to start with you, uh, Gina. Just one thing Phil said there, you know, tomorrow's an opportunity to re-establish this very important relationship. Was it damaged when Donald Trump was in office or just it 
a little ignored? I think it was underappreciated. I think it was largely ignored. It was ignored in many respects because he was so busy. The Trump administration was busy damaging relationships with other members of the multilateral nations around here in Europe. But I think what's really important to point out is that right now we've got an administration that's just starting, less than 60 days. We have 17 of the 23 cabinet members already in place. And what's important about that is that means that those undersecretaries are also in place. This is a big disappointment that we can't go, that the Irish contingency, not just the government, but the business leaders that would also, also come over for in-person meetings aren't going to be able to have those types of one-on-one, -on -one, forging those new relationships, really building up with this new administration a real strong, solid foundation because the business investments in, Ire in Ireland looking to the United States, while well, we just have this couple, two days ago, the largest private-owned company in Silicon Valley is now Stripe, owned by two good Irish boys. We've got Aircap that just acquired GCAS, also the CEO, Angus Kelly, Irishman. The significance of Ireland in the United States and the entourage back-channeling, the back-meetings that would be happening alongside the Shamrock Oval Office photo op is really what's really the big disappointment, I think, for this virtual, because we're not going to have those men, the, those same kinds of And what is the loss, I suppose? Because we have the virtual meeting between There's the president a, and the Taoiseach, look, I make, I but make, those I, other meetings I aren't make, happening. I make my living in, in, in leadership communications now, and we all know that there is, we've been in a year of virtual meetings, but it is still not a substitute for in-person meetings. And hey, having a pint or four of Guinness together makes a difference to solidify relationships. It's just a fact. How exceptional is it for Ireland to have this audience, this reception tomorrow? It's, 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 it's uniquely an Irish situation and it's one that should be leveraged and should be capitalized on and be held very dear and not just in the United States, of course, because all around the world, these types of in-person in meetings would have been taking place during this time. So it is certainly a situation where Ireland should be, again, capitalizing it. And I actually would like to make a recommendation right now that when the Taoiseach is talking to President Biden tomorrow, that he makes a nice suggestion that there should be not a wait till 2022 for the next Shamrock meeting, but there should be a catch-up meeting six months from now if the health situation is, is allowing it to have a St. Patrick's Day meeting for Ireland in the United States so they can actually have that in-person meeting. That's how important it is. That's how important it is. And you said, Gina, you didn't realise how important that relationship was until you actually lived in Ireland. It, was, it wasn't when you lived in the States that you realised it. Well, you know, I think it's one of, the, it's one of those things where we realised then, when, we, when I was growing up in the United States, it was the spirit of... Ireland that I think was something that we were aware of. But only coming here have I learned about the amount of economic investment, about the exports, about that real relationship okay. in the business situation, as well as geopolitical. OK, well, let's go to uh, Hazel, uh, to the Dublin Lord Mayor. Uh, Hazel, a very different St. Patrick's Day in Dublin tomorrow. Many's a good uh, St. Patrick's Day. I would have had my youth in the city centre, but that's not happening. But I know there are alternatives. So how can people celebrate? Well, uh, the St. Patrick's Festival crew have been working really, really hard this year. I sit on their board and I'm so proud of them, Kira. They've done so much work. And I think you, you see the creative community coming together for for St. Patrick's uh, Day. And they've always have. And this year, uh, going 
virtually coming together has been difficult, but we, we've managed to pull it through. So we've had since the 12th uh, on St. Patrick's uh, Festival TV, a series of broadcasts that has happened uh, from tying in with uh, the younger community to the older and all sorts of shows happening. Now, tomorrow we kick off uh, with a message from President Higgins at 10.52, uh, but then we also move on to uh, 12.15, we visit uh, a nursing home in, in Kildare um, to talk to the residents. And then we move on then in the evening time. I know RTE is broadcasting at uh, 6.30, the festival, um, St. Patrick's Festival, that Baz Ashrami will be going around uh, um, uh, leading and interviewing people. And then we're off at 8 p.m. to Whelan's with uh, Borog Law Ella Porik. So that will be a different uh, session. It'd be a great session, but it'd be different. I know you know, yourselves had um, performers on the show last week talking about how um, not performing in front of a live audience is, is difficult this year, but we are going to make the best of it tomorrow. And then at 8.55, we're going to have Awakening Ireland uh, um, uh, joining us for Solace. And then 9 p.m., we have uh, uh, Sully in the complex in Dublin. So that will be um, uh, streamed as well. It's all on St. Patrick's uh, Festival TV. And of course, you'll have the virtual St. Patrick's Day oh, right. uh, parade, which was so cute and adorable last year. And I know so many kids got involved. Oh, Listen, right. it's massively different this year, but I'm hoping massively different, have a great. But there's yeah. still plenty to celebrate. Thanks for that, uh, Hazel. Uh, my thanks to all of my guests uh, this evening. And thanks to Gina London here in studio. I'll be back here on Thursday night at 10 p.m. Until then, have a very happy and a very safe St. Patrick's Day. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series.